Hello and welcome to another edition of Soccer Group Chat. We've been doing a bunch of these lately. Uh, today, we've got a very special, special guest coming straight from the borough of Chelsea itself, our Chelsea correspondent, Christian Hope. And Adrian is also here, as per usual. Hope, how's it going? Oh, it's going great. Just like every Chelsea fan, no, I'm not from Chelsea or West London. So uh, I thought it'd only be fitting to jump on. In the, in the background, I can see that you also have a, is that a Panathinaikos? Panathinaikos, that's right. For the basketball club, though, not for the soccer club. Oh, very nice. Yeah, you know, the best, uh, the best European basketball club in the world. But, you know, we're here about soccer, maybe basketball later. Yeah, we, we'll get to do a big, we'll get to do a bit of basketball later. I would love to talk about Panathinaikos basketball, though, one time. That's a, that's a great topic. Yeah, it's low level, so we're... <laughs> What's the, what's the story behind it? Like, do you just have that or? No, when I, uh, when I lived in Europe and I was just flying around, they were just the only team that, uh, I guess their season schedule fell all the way into April uh, and they were pretty terrible at the time. So <laughs> I can get, I can get a ticket in for about five euros. <laughs> sit nice. the front. Uh, and yeah, That's yeah, amazing. good times. Wow. So between like a, a Ryanair flight and a ticket, it's, much cheaper than like seeing sports in Toronto if you're already in Europe. Yeah. I mean like what, if you're in Europe and you do that, it's maybe like 50 Euro max in Toronto, you can get like bleeder seats for at least a hundred dollars. So we're we're really living the dream Uh, here. Yeah. Yeah. Not that the, not that anyone's even playing in Toronto these days. Yeah, exactly. It's been tough. It's been tough here without any sports. But you know who does get to watch uh, does get to watch matches? Uh, Chelsea and Spurs are going to start letting people into their stadium, yes. think, along with a handful of other people. Yeah, I think they're get they're two of the teams that are getting two thousand fans. Oh, is that it? Two thousand? Yeah, two thousand to start. Who are the other teams that are getting it? We were talking about this last time. And it's... Yorkshire. Oh, is that it? Yeah, there's uh, some some real uh, anti-northern bias. <laughs> Chris Wilder is talking about how selfish Quap is. Does Liverpool get some fans? Very curious that. Only Liverpool? London Scouse conspiracy continues. Trying to get a Super League. Trying to get five substitutes. Uh, anyway, yeah. I'm just kidding. But well, yeah, mostly Southern, like London teams and, and Southern teams. Southampton, Brighton and all those. I know Palace are getting 2,000 fans, which will be good. Be good for them, but anyways, two teams that uh, have the stadium capacity to have a lot of fans: uh, Chelsea and Spurs. Probably the most anticipated game of the weekend. I would. I don't know if you guys would argue that it's the reason why we plan to have a podcast talking about that game. And of course, as it happens, uh, the game finishes nil nil, and uh, you know, by all uh, by all accounts, wasn't the most exciting affair. But I mean, going into it, there were a ton of storylines, a ton of subplots. And, you know, even the game itself was pretty entertaining uh, at times. And Hope, as a, a Chelsea fan, uh, what were your impressions? I mean, like you said, um, everyone's going into the weekend because, you know, Chelsea can take first place or Tottenham can secure first place uh, with a win. Uh, and then there's Jose Mourinho and Frank Lampard. Jose Mourinho hadn't lost three straight matches to the same manager or the same club ever in his career. So uh, if he had done it, that'd be a record against him, I suppose. But I mean, 
everyone was going in expecting it to be like the Battle of the Bridge 2016 when, uh, you know, Chelsea, if they beat Spurs, Leicester would win. And uh, Spurs went in and had nine yellow cards. Two of them should have been reds. Um, but it was a different manager and it was a battle for the top of the table. And I think it was pretty much exactly what you should have expected of yeah. Jose Mourinho uh, going into the match. I mean, he's going to sit back. They didn't even really press in the second half. Um, and yeah, you're right. Spurs had a lot of good opportunities, probably the better opportunities compared to Chelsea in the match, but Chelsea had their own, uh, if Tammy Abraham could head a ball. Um, but yeah, it, it went about as I expected and you don't expect much open play when yeah. Jose Mourinho wants to hold on to the top of the table. I've been on both sides of that as a fan. <laughs> so you, you've said a few times in there. Uh, talking about Jose Mourinho's tactics and, and Spurs defending, do you think most of the caginess of the game or the defensiveness of the game was because of Spurs? Or do you think there was some of that from Chelsea as well? I mean, I think it's definitely, you saw it from Chelsea as well, for sure, especially since N'Golo Conte's dropped back into a holding role. We used to play him a little bit more advanced because Lampard really liked him pressing forward. But, you know, then if you're caught with Mount or Kovacic in the back, then, <laughs> you know, good luck. Uh, good luck recovering the ball in midfield. Um, obviously, Chelsea want to be cautious just because they've had a good clean sheet record so far since acquiring Mendy. Um, uh, but, yeah, Spurs are a tough team to break down. I mean, Chelsea, I don't think we're incredibly – like we have great pieces going forward. I don't think we've shown great creativity. Most of that's probably just because so many of the players are new, um, like yeah. almost a brand new front line. Havertz wasn't in, wasn't in the match. And even uh, maybe not last week, but a couple of weeks, it took us a whole match to break down Newcastle and get a goal for, <laughs> for as bad as Newcastle played. Uh, Chelsea can really get complacent when they're not, when they're, when teams are sitting back against them. Uh, they'll just kind of give away balls, just trying to trying to hoof it forward and find something on the runners. And uh, I think that just comes with experience, comes with time playing together. Um, I would have, it could have been three nil, could have been three nil because we had some great opportunities in the box. But if you can't finish, you can't finish. Yeah, I want to circle back. Uh, you mentioned Edward Mendy, and I mean personally in our soccer group chat, which is you know the reason we're doing this podcast. I feel like we talked a lot about, and we we talk a lot about keepers. Um, and, you know, anecdotally, have a lot of experience playing a uh, keeper in pickup. And Adrian sometimes likes to uh, put on the gloves as well, the odd time. Um, Does he? But I mean, <laughs> we, <laughs> apparently. So, so I just want to talk a bit about, you know, Med- Mendy and the difference in Chelsea with him as opposed to Kepa. Because so many conversations we've had amongst ourselves has just been about, you know, how Kepa is kind of a black hole back there. And when the ball goes to him, you never know what's going to happen with it. You never know if it's going to come back. If it's going to end up in his own net or, you know, if he's even going to come out to catch the cross. Uh, so many times, you know, you see, you know, Kepa, um, you know, not doing anything when a cross comes in and his defenders are yelling at him and everything. But, you know, watching Mendy, it just looks like it's a way more comfortable experience back there uh, when he's playing. And that's kind of evidenced by the fact that this was eight clean sheet in 10 games with Chelsea. I feel bad for Kepa because, you know, he came in, it's, it's not his fault. We paid 72 million pounds for him. No one knows where that number came from. 
Um, and he didn't start off poorly. He, he was a very serviceable keeper when he first came, uh, what was it, three seasons ago with Sari? Um, I don't know, just, just the combination of, you know, a handful of mistakes, just, just the complete 180 by Christensen and Rudiger uh, on defense, and just like an overall lack of confidence. I mean, like, Kep was already a small keeper, and I know it's always so weird to comment on an athlete's body versus their performance but like he's he's already such a small keeper it came it comes to a point where teams would just fire the ball and nah, nah, no fuck it cap was in that there's a chance there for us um and like once you lose the confidence not only probably in yourself as a keeper not that i was ever a keeper so i wouldn't really know but once you lose the confidence in yourself as a keeper to to be 100 in your commitments uh whether you're coming yeah. for a ball you know, trying to retrieve the ball from your teammates to distribute from the back. It's, it's pretty much over for you. Uh, and then Mendy comes in, he's massive. Yeah. He looked like he's massive. Visually, he's such a difference than Kepa and goal. And he doesn't have any of this baggage. He's played in the champions league. He's faced great, great forwards. I don't know if he has a great record or not against those forwards, but he, he goes and he's off the back of, wow, I came from Ren as a solid keeper and this one of the richest clubs in the world wants me and the confidence is there for them to, for for him to succeed and he doesn't have to carry that with him yeah he's a great story too wasn't he he was working at a restaurant or something a couple of years ago and then he walks into ren wins the job and then now he's at chelsea and he's kind of propelling them to top three spot on the table yeah yeah i think he was unemployed and then non-league uh, and then he went to not Ren, but Rem, Rem, and then Ren. Yeah. Because wow. <laughs> French, because we're all great at French here. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and he did really well. I mean, well, he's massive. He's got two French speakers in front of him too, Aspilicueta as well. If he's got them there, uh, probably explains why Chilwell always fucks off up front just, just to score goals. Can't talk to any of his defenders. Uh, <laughs> He's, he's been good though for for Chelsea, hasn't he? He's been fantastic for us. No, I'm just <laughs> I'm just saying, Chilwell is it's he he is a breath of fresh air from Alonso because if yeah. you see Alonso on screen, he's sticking on that side of the screen. <laughs> <laughs> if, if the ball goes the other way, he's not going to be an eye shot for until the next camera cut. Uh, you know, uh, Chilwell has work rate. He's young. He has pace. Um, I don't think Alonso has ever been our fullback. Has ever been a fullback. His only best season, his best season, was when he was a wingback. Exactly. <laughs> he was a fixture in my FPL team for a while. Yeah, goals, man. Yeah, goals. He's a striker. <laughs> but uh, talking about confidence, like Thiago Silva is such an assured presence. It seems like he's really like picked up Zuma and whoever he's partnering, as well as just like giving a bedrock for the team to build off of. I was a little skeptical when they signed him just because of his age, but he's really, really performing as far as I can see, having only watched a few Chelsea games. Yeah, I mean, I was super skeptical as well. I think he was like 35 going on 36, playing for PSG. Obviously, he's a top, top player, but you know, you're not exactly challenged week in, week out on PSG in France uh, versus no. what you would be uh, in the Premier League. But um, it's kind of the same thing with... Uh, with um, with Mendy and goal versus Silva at center back. It's not like Aspilicueta was a 
was a bad captain and couldn't rally the guys. It's just like if there's continual poor runs of form and people start pointing their fingers at everyone else, you just all kind of like fall down as a group. Whereas Thiago Silva comes in, weren't PSG in the Champions League final last year? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he comes in and he off, off the back of success and a legendary career and everyone, you know, it's, it's natural to look up to a player like that. I think it's good that he's partnered with a player like Zuma in the back um, on occasions, not with the ball at Zuma's feet. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, Silva, I think it shows like you, you really can't put a price on, on the quality and the experience, especially in a center back. Uh, in your lineup I mean 35 36 yeah sure that's old but when are you ever asking your center backs to to keep pace with wingers anyways Uh, it's always about positioning it's always about uh, communication with your players Um, he was horrible in our first match in his first match with us I think it was against I forget who was I think Sheffield or someone like that Um, yeah yeah, it was a cut match. It was a cut match you played in first. It was him and Christensen in the back. He gave away the ball at the back and oh, it's, it's all downhill from here. Uh, but, you know, I guess veteran presence, you recover. Uh, like I said, he didn't speak the language coming in, but, you know, three other guys speak French at the back. So, uh, exactly. and, and Conte in front of him. So uh, defensively, pretty short up there. You also mentioned Chelsea's attacking players earlier, and I kind of wanted to get into that a bit because, you know, you're talking earlier, off camera or off mic as it were about Chelsea's spending spree uh, because, you know, they, they were allowed to make transfers again. And of course, Lampard with using that Abramovich money, you know, brings in a whole bunch of new players, including a couple of sensational Germans, uh, Timo Werner and Kai Havertz. And I was just wondering kind of what your thoughts, because I feel like everyone kind of expected them to come in and be gangbusters right away. And it's taken a little bit of time for them to gel a bit. Uh, especially with with Zayac too, who's another uh, signing from Ajax. So I was wondering, kind of wondering what your thoughts are on, you know, the fact that despite Chelsea is a pretty young team, maybe in a bit of a rebuild, reset. Uh, the fact that they're still third in the in the table without Havertz, maybe firing on all cylinders. Um, you know, I guess that speaks to you know, I guess the guys around them, or you know, just the sheer talent that they have. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a it's a mix of both. I mean, like you like you said, Chelsea are a young team and they are in a rebuild because they were forced to not be able to make transfers. Not every, but on the other hand, not every team uh, or club has the privilege to rebuild with two hundred million dollar uh, spending balance exactly. <laughs> over the summer. You know, uh, Werner. I think Werner. Oh no, sorry, Ziyech is the oldest of the new transfers, and he's what twenty six, yeah, uh, twenty seven, like that. I mean. Yeah, no, they haven't been firing all sort. Werner could have 10 goals by now, but he's just been fluffing some shots, uh, missing some opportunities. He had a good, good apparent goal today until it was ruled offside. It was yeah, fair it was offside. Nice. Um, but, I mean, also, you know, Ziyech came in and he was injured in a preseason match, so he, he didn't really get up to speed. I think the biggest thing with Havertz coming in is, even when he was in Germany, no one really knows what position Havertz plays. Uh, we're kind yeah. of playing him in, in that kind of like it, on the right of a midfield three and he's just asked to like bomb forward with the ball if he up, very similar to how Kovacic plays today I just think um, Havertz has equal or almost better technical ability uh, but he hasn't really gotten to the groove because they haven't really been op- able to optimize what he wants like if right. he wants to if, if he wants to dribble on the ball 
you know, that's great. But also Tammy Abraham wants the ball at his feet. Um, you've got excellent wingers that you can uh, send the ball out to switch the play whenever you want, but there's no, there's no real synergy yet between all these attacking players. It seems can, like, like there's a lot of these players almost playing slightly out of position or not where they want. Like, like Werner, you saw during the game, he was kind of in that channel between the wing and between central. He's kind of playing in that mid channel. Which is which is good because then it frees up space for Chilwell, um, but you know you wonder if he wants to be more centrally or if he wants to play like deeper, like off of Abraham. But he's he's sort of been putting off, put off to the wing, um, and then if uh, if you have some of those other players like again like Havertz, like does he also want to be in that sort of number ten space? Um, it's interesting how how they will find the balance between those and, and whether or not they're going to have to have a few different formations that they cycle through yeah. to accommodate them. And yeah, you're right. Like Werner has been playing on the left wing. He started out playing centrally for us. And then Tammy Abraham got a handful of goals and that's Frank Lampard's problem. You gotta, you gotta pick the team. I think that's a big reason. Like you said, they need a couple formations. I think that's why Frank Lampard, at least in the papers, is going so hard for another holding midfielder or going so hard for like Declan Rice because he just wants two players to sit back like one one with Conte someone beside Conte so that these guys can fully commit to the attack uh, and then you just have people you know you alternate your fullbacks who are bombing forward and then like do you really you don't really lose a player in defense when you have that what would an, what would the arrival of another holding midfielder then do to Mason Mount cuz he's you know, he was, he was pretty good today and he's, you know, he's uh he's a good player and he's another one of those young guys that we talked about, but uh, Nick Gill has this opinion that if Mason Mount wasn't English, he'd be playing in league two. So I was just wondering kind of what you, what you thought about that. And if there was a rebuttal to that, or if you kind of feel the same way or what you think is going to happen to him. Uh, that's a bold claim. By Nick Gill. I think league two is pretty far. I think he's, he's obviously a premier league player. I just think it's, um, I mean, first off, Frank Lampard's son's always going to be on the team, uh, so <laughs> so we're not we're not getting Mason Mount out of the team. I just think people want uh, with all these multi million dollar signing, multi million pound uh, signings going on, and then for some reason, oh, Mason Mount uh, is the player that's sticking in the team. Well, Mason Mount is you know maybe he's not the prettiest player, but he's just sweaty. Like he just goes out and he just gets on the ground. He does his work and. If he needs to go forward and support the attack, he's there. If he, if he needs to fall back and, and track wingers or fullbacks, he's there. And, like, it's not, the, it's not the prettiest play. He's not Scott Parker, who was a great player, by the way. <laughs> uh, I th- but people just expect, expect some kind of, like, brilliance from him, some brilliance of play. Uh, whereas in, with, depending on who's around you, you're going to play different. Last season, he played pretty much in the number 10 position for us. And he scored a fair amount of goals, and he was always involved in the attack. And he's he's just taken a bit of a step back this season because he's got those players ahead of him. Yeah, and that's great that he can adapt his, his responsibilities. I think sometimes there's, there's like uh, some sort of like treatment to, is at least this is how it is at Newcastle like there's a bit of uh, harsh treatment about like academy products 
That could be, you know, just to acknowledge because most of our Academy products are bad, but Mason Mountain <laughs> is good. <laughs> uh, like you saw, I, I forget at one point in the game it was, but he, he had a shot. The play ended with him putting a shot over the bar, but he, he skipped away from one person, did a, a quick dummy, like the really elegant, like turns, nothing too fancy, but just like really well executed, very sharp. Um, yeah. And then uh, later he, he had that like really like sort of venomous shot that required a, a good save from Larice. So, you know, he was putting some pressure and he was, he was creating, he was being creative. So, I mean, yeah. And, and if he can get back, like maybe, maybe that's something Havertz will have to adapt to and sort of be able to have the same versatility in, in the team. Yeah. It always kind of like comes off as like, like a bit of a, like a bit of a FIFA argument to me is like, he should be playing the cam creating play yeah. and distributing to the wings. I'm like, like that's not like FIFA is not even that great. <laughs> Let's be honest. Uh, and like people just expect just pure output in one, in one section from most players. And like, you, you can do more than that. And you maybe you can do more than that, but most of the time you have to contribute more than that. You can't, unless you're Olivier Giroud, who's only going to play the last 10 minutes of a match. Yeah. Uh, you can't just have one, one thing that you do. Uh, I know, like with England, it's always there's always a conversation like, ah, oh, why is Mason Mount playing and Jack Graylish isn't playing? Um, I think they're two totally different players. Graylish, Graylish is a creator with well, the balls at his feet. He's not a speedster. He's just like incredible on the ball. He just waits for the defender to take a half inch, and then somehow he's past him. He's gone. Um, but yeah, I mean, like Mounts. It's, I think that's mostly the problem with Chelsea. I don't think they have, I don't think they've optimized their production so far this season because they haven't even optimized their lineup. Yeah. Uh, they, they don't even know if they're putting out the best players. Christian Pulisic came back from injury, came off the bench, and he I didn't even notice him really. Yeah. I didn't even know, like, he didn't really fly off the screen, at least to me. No. Like, I think he had one good, one good kind of dribble along the end line or along the, uh, uh, the touchline and got past a player and just cross one off a player. Yeah. The but, first, first, one of the first things he did in the game was to, you know, a defensive play. Uh, I think it was like Aurier on, on the wing and he, he stopped him from like pushing too far forward. Um, but then he scissored him at the end of the game too. Sorry. Scissored him at the end of the game too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then you then you saw like last year how good Pulisic can be when he he scored that was it a hat trick against Burnley was a hat trick against Burnley yeah so like he he was incredible that game so I think just even from our conversation I didn't realize quite how deep Chelsea is when you compare them to say Spurs who are also being you know lauded as as title challengers but you know the difference between having Havertz to sub off sub on after you know taking off Mason Mount versus putting on Harry Winks to replace on Dombele or something like that. It's, it's a world of difference. It's a really good point. And like Jose Mourinho, like that's, that's where management comes in. Jose Mourinho knows that he's not going to be able to run with Chelsea. If you go up and down, maybe for a couple possessions, but not, not all match long. So sit back, sit back and work on the counter. I mean, there's, there's, we all want pretty football, but we want three points more. Yeah. Yeah, you could definitely see the the Mourinho legacy there. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Probably. Um, 
No, definitely. I find it so funny because I feel like every single club is like, you know, like whenever you talk about Newcastle and Bruce Ball, everyone's always like, oh, you know, this club, they expect a certain like kind of play, a certain style. And then you, they're talking about West Ham and Moyes and they're like, you know, but this club, they expect a certain style of play. And then we talk about like Blackpool and they're like, remember when Ian Holloway was here and we made it to the, pre like just everyone expects this like style of play. Like I almost want like Bolton to be back to being like, nah, hoof it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Pulis, Pulis style for Stoke, like that kind of thing. Like, um, I, I don't know. I think it's good to have a, a range of styles like that. Or at least, or at least a chosen few that you can really succeed in, at least yeah. you know, because because the truth is, top four, top six, I guess people say now, um, everyone's good. Everyone can absolutely smash you. So like, it's you can't really sit back on your laurels and say our way is going to win. Yeah, it's 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 just not going to happen because they'll beat you more like more times than not if you don't adapt to them. And I, and I feel like Chelsea, you just kind of expect them to be, you know, always high octane, uh, at least when Mourinho's not there. But, you know, previous years, as since he left, they've been kind of high octane, free scoring all the time and kind of to see them kind of playing this kind of cagey game. Maybe it wasn't their fault, but I kind of got the sense that, you know, maybe both managers, both teams were content with that result. Like you didn't really yeah. see anyone kind of at the end, like really going for the throat other than those yeah. two chances we kind of alluded to earlier that you know just happened kind of an injury time when both teams were trying to give each other the win but i mean yeah like it, it didn't seem to me that that i guess it was kind of early in the season you want to conserve your energy before the december christmas and everything but there wasn't really that incisive pass or that chance that you know could have given either team a win if if i can artificially put a bow on on things and and tie together some strands of our conversation. We've talked about that, not going for the throat, not putting away your chances. We talked about Tiago Silva and, and the value of experience. We've talked about uh, substitutions and we've even mentioned uh, Giroud's name. So let's, I, I think, you know, like, can we tie some of this into like Giroud? Like, should he be playing earlier? Because I know you mentioned if only, if only Tammy could head a ball, um, but I know that first cross from Reese James, that was like just sort of behind him. So I, I wonder, and something I, I was wondering earlier is, was that cross behind him or did he mistime his run? Would, would that cross not have gone behind Olivier Giroud? Would he have been positioned better? Olivier Giroud is a much better target man than Tammy Abraham. He is so much smarter on his runs. Uh, he's so much smarter getting into position for balls. Um, and even like, even 50, 50 ball, I mean, the, uh, the match against Ren where he scored the winner at 90 minutes, like he's, just, he's just so aware of the ball. He's such like, he's like every striker that probably like I want, because I was born in 92. <laughs> like, I don't want my striker to, to, to yeah. play with the ball at his feet. I just want him to hold it there, wrestle off his defender and find a shot or, or, or get in the box. You're, you're probably right. Olivier Giroud could, could probably play earlier, but I don't think. Tammy Abraham's put in a season so far where he doesn't deserve to be playing these matches. I just think in terms of link up, Olivier Giroud has a much, much more defined body of work to say that he would be more successful in the role. I mean, he's a world cup winner. He, he played every match in the world cup and he didn't score a goal. Um, yeah. 
been, so, yeah. Sorry, keep going. Sorry. No, no, no. Go on, go on, go on. I was gonna say it would have been it would have been a different would have been a different game, I think, if you know, especially if you would have put away that chance and maybe if they brought him on a little bit earlier, just given like the caginess and kind of how in the palace game we were talking about all it needed was that one, you know, that one finish, you know, that one player to step up and kind of get in the right area at the right time. And it seemed like seemed like maybe Abraham was kind of he was there and he's a good finisher, but it seemed like maybe you know, with the way that it was, Chelsea was kind of forced to the outside and with the balls come, kind of getting lumped in, maybe it would have been, I mean, not that I'm a manager, not that we're managers, but like, like you're saying, like Giroud is a better target man than Abraham. So maybe it would have been better to get him on a bit earlier. Going back yeah, to the I'm, question. Yeah. But I mean, you know, 30 minutes for Giroud, 20 minutes, 10 minutes, he's not going to start a match um, because Lampard does want his forwards trying to pressure the ball. And, you know, Giroud's not, I'm not, I'm not saying he's slow, uh, but it's not exactly his forte. Um, yeah. You're, you're probably right. It's like in hindsight, it's so much easier to say, you know, we could have made this change earlier and it, it would have been more effective, but I think more so it comes down to the fact that Tammy Abraham needs to take advantage of his opportunities. Um, what I was referring to when he got tangled up with Dyer and the, the ball went sailing past him, like if you choose to just play strong and not like lock up your shoulder with Dyer, that's a free header. Yeah. Like it's a free header. I think Tammy, why is he 23 years old, 22 years old? Right. Like with experience. With experience. And it's, it's hard to say that for a team that spends 200 million in the summer and expects to win um, the title. But I think that's why it's good to have a player like Giroud behind him there. Like, so that there's an example for him to work from. Exactly. Uh, sometimes he does too much. Sometimes he's trying to do too much. Sometimes he'll like put, try to flick the ball too much or, or go for the run at the wrong time. It, it's just about getting the balance correct starts. And if he wants to score goals, it starts at the top. If he wants to hold that position from Timo Werner, Got to keep those goals coming. And uh, it looks like we have about like five minutes left on our free Zoom call. Um, we're not going to upgrade the premium, so let's not let's, quite yet. Uh, yeah, um, I don't know. Let's let's maybe just dive into like a familiar topic that everyone likes to talk about. What about Jose Mourinho? Um, I, I'm wondering then, like Nick, you were you asked me a few a few sessions ago, like. Is, is Mourinho the right guy for for Spurs? So, you know, do, do we see any evidence that that he's really stamped himself on this team? And I guess also to add on to that for Hope, like what what's his legacy like at Chelsea now that he's he's managed two other Prem clubs? Is that association just lessened? Is he not a Chelsea man anymore? I think it was a typical Mourinho performance that you would see no matter where he is. And I think that kind of speaks to if he stands himself on the team, but I also just think that, you know, with a team like Spurs who are maybe a bit starved for trophies, they have all these attacking players. They got Kane and Son. They got one of the best, you know, going forward. You, just, I just want to kind of see, like, it would have been amazing to just see them maybe go for it. You know, they're in this title race. They're relatively, you know, they're kind of an afterthought as compared to Chelsea United city and all those teams and you're in this spot, you're top of the table. They haven't been top of the table in like eight years. So kind of like, let's go for it, man. That's all I would, that's all I would say is, you know, maybe just his stamp is on the team, I think. And maybe it's kind of a negative when you're in this situation and you just want to see them go for it. 
Yeah, no, I think you're spot on. I mean, like, let's not like Jose Mourinho is like a serial winner. He has like 20 trophies amongst how many, how many different leagues. He's never not won something with a team. Um, is he a Chelsea man? Absolutely not. But he knows to say that he is when, when you're talking. Like, I, I, players move, managers move. No one's no one's a man of the club anymore. There's too much money involved in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes to Jose Mourinho being at Spurs, Spurs are trophy starved. Jose Mourinho can't leave Spurs without a trophy. He cannot leave Spurs, and it can't be the Carling Cup. <laughs> like Jose Mourinho has to make sure that on his on the history of his managerial record he was able to go to a club like Spurs and get a trophy and he's definitely telling his boys that as much as he's uh putting it in place and training like boys win me something here I've, I've got you the money win me something yeah maybe he thinks that you know by sitting back and and you know getting securing these nil-nil draws you know maybe to give them a better chance um, you know, for a trophy, but with Liverpool, Chelsea, City, you know, coming off five 0 win, nipping at his heels, go yeah, for it, man! Yeah, he's got the talent for it too. Son and Kane, Kane's Kane's incredible. Yeah, he's so good. Even though he's kind of invisible in the second half, but that's what you get when Conte drops back to mark, essentially man mark you. Exactly. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say credit to Chelsea then for for keeping Kane and and Son so quiet. Like, yeah, yeah, the only one who really like was buzzing around in the first half was with Bergwijn. Yeah, Bergwijn, yeah. All right, so I think that kind of puts a bow on things in terms of Chelsea Spurs. Since Seeing as we're at less than a minute left here, someone's uh, knocking on the door. They want to, uh, you know, someone booked the studio after us, so uh, we got to kind of mosey on out of here. Uh, any, you know, any final thoughts, things you didn't get to that you just want to, like, knock off real quick here? Uh, you know, coming from Chelsea's perspective, uh, one day I need to talk to Adrian about what his dreams were like. Uh, with Newcastle possibly becoming not super rich, but incredibly mega ultra rich and that falling through and the most blue collar team in the Premier League becoming the most undeserved uh, rich team in the world. We'll have to figure that out one day. Yeah, well, we can have a whole topic about it. If Depending on pending lawsuits. <laughs> we will. We will. Because Yeah, we will. Because Nick Gill and a few of the other guys love that topic too. But, and Zaha uh, needs a better team, by the way. Yeah. We'll get into that too in future episodes for sure. Um, Hope, thanks so much for joining us. We're also going to, uh, we'll, we'll talk about Raptors one day too, because with the NBA starting up again, uh, and I know you're a big fan seeing the scarf on your wall. Um, yeah. So we'll Someone get into that. Corporately inclined. Yes, me too. Uh, all right. So that does it for this edition that I'm going to call Sweaty Mason Mounts. And uh, <laughs> thanks for, th- Hope, thanks for joining us. And thanks everybody for listening. This is Soccer Group Chat. See you next time. Podcast with more guests than listeners.